hello and welcome back to the Romaniacs Bunker, which, if you believe the ever-sweatier Dominic Raab, resembles an expensive advertising agency where a small but senior group of politicians gather to subvert the referendum and foil the will of the people. Dominic is welcome to visit our unventilated subterranean lair in elitist Soho, where he will doubtless be shocked at the lack of executive armchairs and will probably perspire himself down to the size of a peanut. Whatever, I'm Andrew Harrison and I've got two of our regulars with me this week. Naomi Smith is the Chief Operating Officer of Best of Britain, here in personal capacity, of course. And she's enjoying the throes of conference season as she battles for people's votes. Hello, Naomi. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I sort of feel like I do perform some surgery and operations on people from time to time in my role. <laughs> How was the Labour conference? Because you haven't been on since that. Did, where you actually managed to shift policy imperceptibly by mind control of Keir Starmer. <laughs> Well, I have to give a massive shout out to the group Another Europe is Possible. Um, look them up if you haven't heard of them. They did an absolutely Herculean effort in getting the constituency Labour parties across the country to pass resolutions ahead of that conference. So I think they accounted for about 70 of those. They worked their absolute socks off. So absolute credit to them for helping to shift uh, Jeremy Corbyn to where we almost need him to be, mm. getting uh, ever closer. I would ask you about the Conservative conference, but of course, Best of Britain were banned from the conference. <laughs> only because you're sort of, How did your fringe event with Philip Lee it went brilliantly. We had this amazing person from the audience stand up and talk about how they are a veteran. They were wounded in Northern Ireland. And what would, you know, uh, leavers say to him uh, about, you know, did his friends get injured in vain? And he yeah. get injured in vain for the Good Friday Agreement to come to fruition, only to be torn up by them. So it was a really impassioned fringe mm. meeting. It was, it was excellent. Mm. So, yeah, despite being banned, we uh, <laughs> had, a, had a great event. I saw that Philip Lee remarked that uh, it's rather <clears throat> exciting to be at an event that's been banned. It's like the song Relax, <laughs> <laughs> when you want to remain. Or when you want to... <laughs> Exotic spresum. Yes. <laughs> a spresum, yes. Conservatives for People's Vote had to speak on the fringe, so it's, it's like, no, 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 I can't hear you now, basically government policy. Yeah, apparently so, or well, certainly conservative voice policy. <laughs> yes. Also with us is political commentator, actor, singer, columnist, and the best thing to come out of Greece since the concept of democracy itself, <laughs> <laughs> as well as Vangelis, Alex Andrea. Hello, Alex. Welcome back to the show. And Hello. the UK. You had a lovely week at home in Mykonos where you, you've been avoiding Cyclone Xenophon, like me. Yes, Medicaid Zorba. Medicaid Zorba, smashing all the plates. I noticed you had a fun week spotting Twitter accounts that are suddenly saying, I voted Remain, but now I'd vote Leave. Where are they coming from? You have a strange idea of fun. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And, and I'm not saying there aren't people who have switched from... Um, remain to leave because obviously statistically there are One we've million. seen that we've seen that in the polls but the numbers on twitter especially in the last 2 weeks don't <laughs> seem representative of the, of that sort of sample so um i notice a pattern of a lot of accounts that were opened between 2011 and 2013 have been very, very quiet for many years, have tweeted nothing about Brexit before the vote, very little since. And suddenly in the last sort of month, they're all, I voted Remain, but now um, I'm so upset by how appallingly Theresa May has been treated that I fully back a hard Brexit Pinocchio. and bombing Paris. Yeah. <laughs> well, friend of the podcast, Rob Fitzpatrick, uh, tweeted, I voted Remain, but having seen the way the EU has humiliated our government and ignored the 17.4 million people who voted to leave the EU, 
I would vote Remain again. I'm going to do it again the time <laughs> Speaking of voters who've changed their minds, uh, this week's special guests are our favourite people in the whole world, former Leave voters who've changed their minds Yay! and are now backing Remain. Emma Hockey and Hugh Norris are members of Remain and Now, the group for people who switch their support to Remain with the inspiring slogan, It's OK to Change Your Mind. Hugh is an IT project director from Wiltshire. He's worked in Europe and says he's never felt more European. Uh, Emma is from Southend and you have a mm. background in healthcare. And so I feel like I'm introducing a game show here. <laughs> I see project Derek so what's um, the prize <laughs> the, well, the prize we know the prize we, we, we know the prize yeah. that's the prize that's the prize so there's more or dusty bin or dusty bin <laughs> yes uh, or the speedboat there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 self-righteous gets like us who need no repentance so welcome to the show thank you thank, thank you for, thank you for uh, your, your hard work we're going to talk about your personal journeys in detail a little bit later in the show Emma, was there something in particular that tipped you over from supporting Leave to coming back to Remain, to the warm arms? I was very 50-50 during the run-up to the referendum anyway. Mm. Um, to be honest, there was a lot of hearsay for me from lots of um, relatives and in the community. And there was a lot of mysticisms around as well. I felt very scared, to be honest, by the whole thing. Mm. I just very much knew I didn't want to make the wrong choice. And of course, I did that anyway. <laughs> um, typical of me. Um I think certainly, I'm really guiltily going to admit, I know that for me there was NHS money. Mm. I've got two very disabled children. And way in the past I used to work for the NHS. So only for a couple of years though. And to me that was something I did want to protect for all of us. And I also um, (laughs) believed um, Mr Hannan when he said that we would be staying in the single market. So I thought that would... <laughs> actually mean that a lot of people would be secure. So for all yeah. of this to have happened, I really am sorry. And I want to do more than say sorry. I want to help protect everyone's rights. I never wanted anybody's rights affected because of my choice. That's interesting because a, a, a lot of people have, have pointed out that um, it doesn't reflect badly on people who voted to leave if they believed what they were told. What they believed was that politicians are generally trustworthy people yeah. who will tell you the truth. So if they say to you, don't worry, we're not leaving the single market, then you could you could bank that. And mm. it turned out to be the most egregious lie you could possibly... Among many. Among many, mm. yes. I truthfully felt that with MEPs as well, because mm. some people have gone to me and said, why would you believe a lowly MEP? And I thought, how could you? Surely people working within the European Parliament, wouldn't you count them... Yeah. Just yeah. as high, yeah. if not yeah. more, yeah. for their experience. Yeah. And it wasn't just MEPs anyway. It was, everybody was talking about Norway and dot, dot, dot. And oh, don't, yeah. yes. Yeah. And that suddenly changed as well. They yeah. can change their minds, but we can't. I don't get that. Yeah. Hugh, was there a particular thing that changed your mind, that tipped your opinion? What, from leave to remain, you mean? Yeah, um, it, yeah it was the point where um, essentially people's rights were being affected. So as soon as I realised, oh, hang on a minute, uh, are you saying people aren't welcome here anymore? Because, again... Similar to Emma, I thought we'd be talking still about some kind of Norway thing and, and there was a chance to maybe do even more trade. So I, th- I felt I was voting for more, not less. Mm. When that was interpreted as, oh, we're coming out of everything and on a human level, I realised, wow, this is affecting real people and real people's lives. They're suddenly feeling like they're not welcome anymore and they don't actually know whether they can stay. Um, as soon as that, that ha- I saw that interpretation of the vote, that was where I thought, hang on a minute, that was, that was never discussed and that was not... From mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, so yeah, yeah, that was the bit where I thought, "Hang on, what what are they doing here?" And then the more I did, sort of the more it unravelled, and the more I I found out, um, yeah, yeah, it just it reinforced the switch. 
in one of the circular letters I got through my door from um, my MP, Sir Amos, someone who I do hold in high regards. This is David one Amos, the, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Um, one of the points he made was that there would actually be fairer immigration. Right. And I don't see that happening. I appreciate that it's out of his hands. Mm. But that right. is not... What's happening? I think we're going to be talking about that in a, a fair bit of detail later in the show. Um, mm. We're going to be talking more to Hugh and Emma from Remainer now later uh, about also how you you too can persuade Lever friends and relatives and people on the fence to get behind the people's vote. Also, we've got all the fun and games of the Tory conference. Yes, ABBA are ruined forever by Theresa May's dancing. <laughs> Who wins the most objectionable rabble-rouser? Which of Theresa May's announcements on trade and immigration will bear any relationship to reality? And, of course, the best of the lot, Festival of Britain 2022. Festival of Brexit. The Festival of Brexit. <laughs> celebrating... Festering of Britain. <laughs> the Festering of Britain. <laughs> the Festering of Britain. <laughs> celebrating the Union and definitely not a big old DUP rave for Arlene Foster to celebrate the centenary of the partition of Ireland. I've just discovered that the year 2022 is when the movie Soylent Green takes place. <laughs> so this is very apposite. Uh, I think the food concessions are going to be great. This burger tastes a bit pensionary. Mm, All Brexit this and- means <laughs> plankton. Brexit <laughs> means plankton. Hang on, you're a vegan. You should be perfectly happy with this. Uh, all- there'll be Brexit burgers. And- Brexit burgers. Oh, all this and right. all after these important words from Alex. Firstly, the People's Vote March in London is coming up on Saturday 20th of October. Autumn is crunch time for Brexit. This will be the most important protest march of our generation and it's our biggest and best chance to ensure that the overwhelming groundswell for a final say vote cannot be ignored. So make sure you're there. We will be. Of course, banners maketh the march and we all know that Remainers have the best sense of humour. So if you've got a smart slogan that you want to share or you need ideas for your own banner, use the hashtag PeoplesVoteBanners on Twitter. It'll help inspire your fellow protesters and we'll choose our favourite as the official Romaniacs banner for the march and send the winner a T-shirt too. That's hashtag People's Vote Banners on Twitter. Secondly, we're taking the Romaniacs live show on the road. On Wednesday, November the 7th, we'll be at the Stroud Book Festival in lovely Gloucestershire. Rose Taylor, Ian Dunn, Dorian Linsky and I will be discussing whatever terrible state Brexit has reached by then and possibly stocking up on valuable emergency foodstuffs from the area's many excellent farm shops and local producers. <laughs> also, on a personal note, I am single and will be drunk afterwards. <laughs> Tickets are going fast. Get yours at stroudbookfestival.org.uk and we will see you there. Thank you, Alex, for that exciting <laughs> proposition to the listenership there. Now, the country is at a crossroads. We're better to start for the sets to start falling apart than Birmingham. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's the Brexit news. First up, We'd really, really hope to get through the week without having to mention Boris Johnson. Ugh. What were we thinking? In true statesman-like style, the fraudulent fatberg managed to make the moment of his country's maximum crisis all about what's really important, himself and his leadership ambitions. Having entered the Conservative conference in a massive orchestrated scrum through the front door, although back door entrances are available for those not trying to make themselves look like a cross between an overweight Harry Styles and Donald Trump, Johnson proceeded to say that Chequers was not democracy and effectively claimed that Theresa May was a traitor, selling Britain out to a foreign power. Our own Ian Dunt tweeted that Remainers and People's Votes should be ecstatic at this. Johnson essentially promising to vote against May's deal if it resembles Chequers, in which case it's no deal or remain. Naomi, Ian succinctly described the speech as fucking mental. Was there anything to Boris Johnson's speech except make me leader, it's my turn, but I don't want to actually do any work? Uh, I mean, 
Come on, it was him giving the party faithful exactly what they wanted, spoon-feeding them, uh, you know, with the Kool-Aid, this sort of fawning audience that have queued up for hours and hours and hours to get in and see him. It was pompous, it was self-aggrandising, it was all of the things that we know Boris uh, Johnson loves to do to position himself as a future leader. Um, and he stood there criticising checkers and criticising um, the backstop, which are all things that he signed up to, even yeah. if only yeah. for a short <laughs> while. Exactly. Um, uh, and and I think Ian is absolutely right to point out the craziness um, mm. uh, um, of Boris Johnson's logic. But I'm not sure that I agree with him um, that this is really good news for people's vote. Because that was one of the other things yeah. that Ian was saying was that basically what it sounded like the speech was intended to do is to prove that the hard right of the Tories are not going to vote for checkers, that they are going to chuck checkers. Um, and I'm f- afraid for me as a campaigner, that just feels too good to be true. Right. You know, if the Tory party are going to split on this uh, in any significant number, then that would just be absolutely, you know, the most <laughs> gifted thing for the Remain movement. And, and so I don't want us to be complacent. I, I still probably yeah. think that while Boris Johnson himself and potentially Rhys Mogg might vote against Theresa May, I suspect the majority of, of Conservative MPs on that wing of the party would not be able to, you know, bring themselves to do it because they know that it would just gift too much to the other side. The speech was naturally a Woolworths pick and mix of lies and bullshit. But mm-hmm. one particular tasty bit was he claimed that May could be prosecuted under a 14th century <laughs> law saying that no foreign court or government shall have jurisdiction in this country this is this <laughs> apart from the obvious idiocy of it it was immediately pointed out that this law had been repealed in 1967 <laughs> so Captain Erudite Captain I know the annals of you know I can recite the Magna Carta backwards he's just pulling it out of his ear yeah surely yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know this is the man that recited an imperial poem when mm. he was in Myanmar. Mm. You know, he's just he's just gaff prone and doesn't care and it doesn't hurt him with his core audience. Uh, which I at the moment it was of the quite voters, a shit speech actually. By his and, hands, and not yeah. not uh, not in a partisan way, mm. not in a mm. uh, sort of a hate hard Brexit sort mm. of way. But I thought by his standards, because he's a good orator, I thought it was de energized. I thought he looked tired and his heart wasn't in it. Mm. It was really strange to see. That was pretty true of the entire um, conference from yeah. what I could see. It looked small and it looked yeah. really lacking in energy, even for the Conservatives. It just seemed to me that that he he's a man who feels the hand of history on his shoulder <laughs> and bottled it, actually, at mm. the last minute. That's what it felt like. And what's interesting is that all the commentators coming out of the speech had basically that assessment, including the, the BBC's political... Um, analyst that was there and by six o'clock that evening it had merged into this game-changing moment that everyone sort of uh, you know rose to applaud and that just wasn't the atmosphere at the time so I don't know why the narrative shaped I suspect because he has a lot of friends in the media that's why the narrative shaped in that way but at the time everyone was basically good fringe speech but quite underwhelming as a bid to be the next prime minister. It was like one of those stages at Glastonbury where a kind of like a reformed punk band with only one original member was sort of doing its hits. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you really excited. was opening for someone else. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the audience always gets really excited because it reminds them of when they were young and when they were having yeah. fun, you know. Emma and Hugh, you're the, you're the sensible middle-of-the-road people. You're on our side of the fence now, but, you know, you, by, by rights, you ought to be in play for this kind of a, a pitch from a, a, a supposedly, you know, country-uniting person. How did the speech go over with you? How did Boris Johnson's latest 
Well, I, I watched it, and, and, I, and I have to say, even prior to the refer- referendum, watching all the debates and the documentaries, and I watched the big debate the night before, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I do think in hindsight his oratory, and, you know, he's a good speaker, does, does tingle you. You know, he, he knows how to press yeah, buttons yeah, yeah. emotionally. Um, and that all went into the pot as well, and it was the night before the vote and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I watched this one, and, and I have to say I'm – Bored. I'm actually bored yeah. of him. Um, that was my overriding. I thought I'll watch it. I'll watch it anyway because of this. But I'm watching it with a different lens. I'm not watching it with the the pomp and the celebrity and everything. I'm watching it, waiting for detail and waiting for policy and waiting for what would you do. And there is nothing. So mm. actually, I find him boring now. And I and I think um, I'd be surprised if I'm alone in as part of me switching my view on Brexit. Where whether I, I can't believe there aren't many many more people out there thinking. This is just a one trick. You know, you're a mm. good speaker and, and you're a good entertainer, uh, but there's no way, you know, you could be in charge of anything serious. He, so had, that- he had one little bit in there about, oh, we need to build a lot more houses, which coming from him simply isn't credible because he was mayor of London for eight years. And in that time, London built less than half the number of homes. The London Assembly's pl- own plan mm said it needed to do in order to keep pace with demand. Yeah. So, you know, he, he, he has never delivered. But it's a, it's a pick and mix. And, and for some reason, uh, media seems to let him get away with it. So, you know, we were sort of talking earlier today about the fact that, you know, if we remember not that long ago, he was r- widely derided from most, part, most not, not necessarily political parties, but positions as one of the worst foreign secretaries ever. It seems to be forgotten now because he's back and he's got a funny speech and some good lines. Guys, Let's, yeah. let's actually seriously look at this because why do we have this selective amnesia when people are good entertainers? As yeah. I as I said the other day, uh, rarely does a single person hold the definitive answer to mm. something. Mm. But if you want to ask the question, would Boris make a more effective international negotiator? You only need to ask <laughs> Nazanin <laughs> Zagari Radcliffe. She can answer that question. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask the panel who was the most odious individual at conference, but Boris Johnson was clearly always going to snatch it. However, what do we think of Jeremy Hunt comparing the EU to a Soviet prison? <laughs> disgusted. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Thought... Absolutely disgusted. I know he then later on, evidently when he was having dinner with people, he then mm. said, oh, no, that I didn't actually say that, though it is on YouTube but, yeah, and yeah, yeah, people did see it. it. Um, absolutely appalled. Mm. I would like an apology. But even your... even if it was unintentional, surely mm. there should mm. be some sympathy for those that were affected. Mm. Mm. And it's not really tenable for the Prime Minister to make a kind of her um, keynote speech or rather her closing speech about openness and you know welcoming the right kind of audience when she, she has sanctioned her own foreign minister making this you know offensively mm. ahistoric, mm. foolish, mm. Um, you know rabble-rousing bit of gaslighting um, and for it to be welcomed, obviously, with, with rapturous applause from the Brexit press. I thought it was truly nauseating, actually. I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, this is at a time when we're supposed to be forging closer links with countries all around the world and this is the person that's meant to be doing that on our behalf as Foreign Secretary. And, you know, it is disgusting. The EU has provided safe haven for many countries that were formerly under Soviet control. It has helped to bring democracy and human rights to those countries. Um, and, you know, let's not remember, that, not forget, this is the guy who couldn't remember if his wife was Chinese or Japanese. So maybe he actually meant to compare the EU to a suffragette mission, not a Soviet <laughs> prison, and it just sounds a bit the same and yeah. got a bit wrong. <laughs> when I said suffering, I meant suffragette. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
And as someone who has a Chinese husband, it was not a very sensible comparison to Indeed. have done. I appreciate no. yeah. you're in a foreign country, you must feel jet lag and all those things. But it's not the best comparison to do in China. No, absolutely, absolutely not. not. I did particularly enjoy Pretty Patel going on about the central tenets of conservatism. And, and well, we're all tenants because we can't afford to buy. And, <laughs> and the very tenants of checkers. The tenants. She of said che- several yeah. times. The very tenants of checkers. Well, ten- I thought, has it gotten to that? Temporary. Has Brexit got us to that? Yes. Do we need Super to tenants. rent out yeah. checkers now to make temporary ends residency? Meet? Also, special shout out to Philip Hammond who said blockchain will solve the Irish border. <laughs> oh. Hundred pounds says he does not know what blockchain is. H blockchain, more like I think. I, I, I mean, Very I'm good. old. I'm I'm ancient, and this felt to me like the dying days of Thatcherism, when you had the very dregs of talent left, mm. no ideas, the very worst mm. people, and open contempt for anybody but the activists in the room. Nobody else mattered. That crashed on the rocks of the poll tax, and I really don't know it's going to crash on the rocks of a people's vote. I just wanted to mention Dr. Lee. Yeah, he's great, isn't he? <laughs> that, that was one thing that I felt, and also it just showed, because there are, there are some amazing Conservatives out there. there. Are, yeah. And to me, it was just that, that nice little reminder, but what a shame it's so marginalised. Yes. He's so incredible because he's a doctor as well, and when we um, do you know testing on messengers with voters and who they actually are prepared to listen to, and medics are one of the few professions left that aren't utterly disgraced and disbelieved and the rest of it. And he does this very good line where he says, you know, as a medic, I have to get the informed consent of a patient before I can do a procedure. Uh, and I am in absolute dereliction of my yeah. duties if I do not do that. And I do not believe that the electorate in 2016 voted with sufficient information to be able to give their consent. Yeah. And that is why yeah, we yeah, need yeah. to go back to them. And it's but such you know a what great happens, line then? for him if to you, say. If, if you don't like what your doctor tells you, get a second opinion. We can <laughs> exactly. get a second, I want a second opinion. <laughs> but interestingly, uh, Sarah Wollaston, who's also a, medic. Uh, a yeah. former medic, yeah. I, actually I think she still does uh, the odd days in A&E, she uses a very similar comparison. Mm. She mm. says that you can't get consent to amputate a toe and then two years later say that Stitch I can use that to take off the whole leg <laughs> without asking yeah. the patient again, is that all right yeah. with yeah. you? But, it, but it's strange how, I don't know what's behind it or whatever, but whether it's media or what, I, I'm not sure, but it's strange how anybody with a level head, I would suggest, would, would agree with the idea of informed consent. And you think of any other decision you make in life, should I go for this job, should I buy that house, should I take this car, do mm. we go to there on holiday or here to holiday? You get, you know, you make an initial decision, you get the facts and they say, and you might, you might change your view. Why not here? I just don't get the lack Tell of you what, the, the, the Brexit compensation payments in future are going to make PPI look like very small. <laughs> <laughs> Emma? I just wondered if you felt as well, a little bit when we were talking about Boris Johnson, do you feel in a way that it was like a, a lovely distraction technique, especially as freedom of movement's been taken away and you suddenly before had all these lovely pictures of him going through a wheat field oh, and I'm like, here we are, it's all gearing up the stage yeah. for, a, for, yeah. a, for, for a Boris I, being Boris performance. Mm-hmm. No I don't know if it's intentional. Him. I it don't know if it's intentional, like it, but it, it certainly has that effect. So what I mean... Yeah. I don't mean I don't know if it's intentional on his part. Obviously, it's intentional. But what I'm saying is I don't know if it's coordinated, but it certainly has that effect because what's happened is that effectively we're all now talking about the choice between no deal and checkers 
as if there are no other options, mm. as yeah. if all other options mm. have disappeared. The idea of EFTA, of a Norway-type deal, of a Switzerland-type deal, of remaining... Or staying in no, with our lovely current well, deal. You know, <laughs> as if those are no longer options for the country, only the thing Boris says versus mm. the thing May says. And so it's been very effective in moving that debate in that direction. I just looked at him in that field of wheat and thought, where is an out-of-control combine harvester? When <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Let's have some policy. Who remembers policy? I remember policy. Having talked tough since Salzburg about how it's up to the EU to put something on the table to break the impasse, it seems that Theresa May is ready for the inevitable climb down. The Times reported on Monday that she's about to make a significant concession to the EU by limiting Britain's ability to strike free trade deals after Brexit. We'd stay tied to EU customs rules on goods after transition, but not on service yet, in an effort to unblock the deal on the Irish backstop. The concession is likely to enrage Brexiteers, said the paper, who will claim that it amounts to staying in a partial customs union indefinitely. Absolutely fine by me. Meanwhile, with dreary inevitability, the Prime Minister finally made official her familiar stuff about immigration. EU citizens will no longer get priority to live and work in Britain in a move that, quotes, ends freedom of movement once and for all, as if that's a good thing. And there will be an aggressive demarcation on so-called unskilled workers, entirely unsupported by the government's own research, with unskilled apparently meaning those earning less than £50,000 a year. So, listeners, pack your bags. Most of us are earning less than that. Get going. Naomi, talk about this trade climb down first. How likely is it to happen, do we think? Um, I think it's pretty likely. Mm. Um, she came away from Salzburg utterly humiliated. Um, you know, that was that was a, a pretty embarrassing time for her and all at number 10, and I suspect there were some very uh, heated discussions happening there. And I think that this trade climb down will probably form part of a new look at how... Um, goods cross the Irish border um, and I think that they're probably going to come up with some kind of new solution that will be between MaxFac and Chequers where um, she's going to try and convince the DUP that Northern Ireland isn't being treated differently uh, because you won't actually be able to see uh, the checking being done because they're going to come up with some kind of um, electronic checking. So whether that's unicorns and fairies and little leprechauns doing the checking of invisible yeah. goods so it's not seen uh, or not, I don't know. But I think what, what I, I suspect, and you heard it here first, unless the uh, government announced it tomorrow before this podcast comes out, but I suspect that's, that's that this is all part of this trade climb down and the the new Irish border thing is going to come out of number 10 in the next few days and I think it's basically her challenge back to the EU to say look we've made even more compromise it really is your move now so it's half max fuck and it's half checkers which makes it max fuckers <laughs> <laughs> you heard that first we're having that one we own that one Emma, Emma and Hugh how, how do you think a, uh, a, a utterly humiliating climb down which of course we knew was absolutely inevitable how is this going to I mean you, you've got friends and family who are still committed leavers how's it going to go down with your old mates in South End and Devizes well some some of my friends the remainers a lot of them are still leavers hmm. and a lot of them have just sort of very despondent from it and just gone it'll mm. be okay just leave them to it doesn't mm. matter, and I've gone. What about the Good Friday Agreement? What about what about peace for Ireland? You know, and, and thinking about Northern Ireland and Ireland and how things will go. No, no answer, no no response. They've just gone. Oh, we're sure it will be okay. We were told it would be okay. Yeah. Mm. Again, it's the consequences of a of a of a fairly you know stable political system that we've had for decades, where you generally can can trust politicians, and suddenly we find find that we can't. Hugh, how about? You know, your old mates, what would, what would they be saying? Well, and uh, uh, I'd say the majority of them have actually changed back, oh. uh, to to uh, remain, um, although they're not ready to, to 
to say that. Yeah. Um, and they but, may never be ready to and, say and, that. Yeah, and that's fine. But, you know, when we've had the discussions of, you know, but what if there was a vote and, and you know, the, the, the privacy of the polling booth, they know that they would switch. Yeah. But they're not, you know, they wouldn't sort of, uh, you know, these are quite tricky conversations. Say it. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It took me a while. Um, yeah. but, um, but, the, but the ones who um, <clears throat> haven't um, are... Uh, sort of so disinterested I'm not this isn't a criticism it's just a fact they're so disinterested in any kind of detail it's two years on as Anna Subri says people are just fed up with it yeah. um, and but we're fed up with it you know, we do a weekly uh, podcast about yeah, it yeah well you know yeah. um, but um, but the ones who are still saying uh, that there's either pride in the way or they they just totally switched off from it they've just had enough yeah. and just, just go sort it out but and it, they just want to get on with it it is on this issue where I would probably tend to have you know quite a bit of overlap and agreement with hardcore leavers on on what this would be is effectively this vassal statism you know this would be awful to be totally locked out from any of the decision making processes still having to pay into the budget being absolute rule takers um you know that 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 is not more control no. that is not more sovereignty but well, this is the and, the and 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 i think that you know that that, that that's your original point yeah. andrew is that this who does this please the moral of this is there was never going to be more control. No. Well, the, I don't know. They could. The, the, the problem is that I think the proposition that levers are putting out there is still very attractive at a basic emotional level. Yeah. And I don't think we as a movement have began to cope with that because actually when you tell people don't listen to the naysayers, we're strong, we can make it. Everyone wants to believe that. No one wants to accept that, you know, as a nation, we are codependent, that as a nation, we need international cooperation. Everyone wants to believe the idea that we're, you know, we can be strong and independent instantly and with no pain. And so you start from a position where because people want to believe you, it's easier for them to believe you. Mm. Um, Moving on to the immigration stuff. Mm, Lord. Uh, which was, it, there was something genuinely nauseating in the glee with which he said this ends freedom of movement once and for all, as if the entire country has agreed that freedom of movement is this kind of scourge. As if it only applied to foreigners. Yes, basically. it's only freedom of movement for them. Yeah. Johnny Foreigner, yeah, yeah, yeah. we can go back, hang on yeah. a minute, but, uh, hold up, Theresa. As Where if are we she weren't announcing the most catastrophic loss of rights for citizens mm. of this country in 50 years. Yeah, I can't imagine, I can't remember a time when a Prime Minister has so enthusiastically announced the removal of a load of rights. Without a war. People. Yeah. Without yeah. a war. Yeah. But, but again, isn't that, you know, it's, it's why is there no uh, huge pushback in, in a public way from the, from the public? And part of that is because, when it, when it, in my view anyway, part of that is because it's not been properly explained. So as an example, um, a long, long time ago, I saw a live streamed um, uh, 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 debate and there was a, a, a German ambassador who she used the they don't use the same term they say it's freedom freedom of labor free movement of labor mm-hmm. um so it just changes the tone of the discussion mm. yeah. um and secondly the the freedom of movement thing whenever it's in the media on tv or whatever it's only discussed in one direction so when yeah. you say but what about of course. You, you know the british citizens and they're going to the lose Brits this are right because they're expats you know, yeah but they're not migrants no, nobody seriously challenges the the reply that well what do you want to go abroad for because nobody wants to be seen as the as the person championing the supposedly, you know, towering elitist ideal that you might want to go to university in a foreign country. Mm. That kind mm. of thing. Emma. Also, I'm just thinking about people in our communities near and far. 
Because mm. to me, Brexit is personal. That's to me. We're, mm. we're not talking about people's stories. I highly commend anybody to read In Limbo or In Limbo too yeah because you realize these are people's lives from every area of british and europe the three million all in between there there are so many people affected by this directly and indirectly mm. and i i wish we could hear their voice more mm. i think those are the important mm. things because yeah. i feel they're being marginalized i want to exactly ensure you're they are totally right on the, because when stories. you when you actually poll voters on immigration if the headline is, yes, I, I think immigration is bad, and you then go into the next question, you ask them, which immigrants are bad? Do you mean international students? No, of course I don't. Do you mean healthcare professionals in the NHS? No, of course I don't. Do you mean your child's French teacher? No, of course I don't. Mm. And actually, by the end of it, you're mm. and, and you know the, the, they actually are not supposed to. Mm. I don't care also what, what job people have. I mean, to me, these are people in our communities, their family and friends. I'm not going to worry about your label you are you and we're richer for i it. value yeah, exactly. you i want you yeah. I've, well, I've never wanted people the, to feel it's the not their home it the is room, our home if if i may say it's also a false dis- distinction completely false distinction i came to this country at age 19 and i did unskilled work that wasn't work. very long ago listeners. that wasn't very long ago <laughs> um, <laughs> but i did unskilled work to start with you know, I wouldn't call it that, but I worked in a hotel reception. That's what I did. So I could improve my English, so I could learn the lay of the, the city, learn how to use transport. I did that for a few months, you know, to acclimatize myself. I then went to law school and in order to support myself, did unskilled work again, working behind the bar in the evening. Mm. You know, but then I graduated to a higher paying job. And that's what migrants do on the whole. They don't come here and set up their own business on day one. The point is, that's they, what everybody you can't does. I was going to say, that's what we as ready-made. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You can't expect them to come as ready-made uh, uh, heart surgeons. Mm. You know, they may come as, as people who work in a bar while going to university and then eventually become someone mm. who contributes a huge amount. And the point is that, on the whole... They do contribute. EU migrants are net contributors. Mm. I mean, that's the numbers. Yeah, but I mean, that's we've we've had it demonstrated last week with the Migration Advisory Committee, which has been simply you know tossed to the side by this the announcements of this conference. People, it's true, but people don't want to hear it. Emma, you're that's just, well. I'm just thinking as well. It's just you learn so much more from people, not just from one particular area. Yeah. Mm. When you hear about where people are from, it it opens up a whole world for everyone with. As well, mm. wherever they're yeah. working, yeah. wherever they are. And that's healthy for everyone. It's the cultural enriching. It's yeah. one of the things I love about us. Yeah. We're a storytelling nation. That's, part, that's one of the things we should love. And the fact that we've got wonderful people near and far coming. We, yeah. How can we cut yeah. off from yeah. that? But, that's but if the idea persists that this is a zero-sum game, then it doesn't work. There was a vox pop from a woman in Dudley on the BBC yesterday, I think. And she was saying, well, I see... Uh, you know, I see British people who are homeless in the market because she had a stall in the market and, you know, and they they have no place to stay and they're sleeping rough. And then I see the foreigners and they're nicely dressed. And, you know, so mm-hmm. the idea is that one is a trade off for the other. Yeah, there was a and part why of shouldn't we be looking took, exactly yes. as if, you know, as if you come in as an immigrant and, you know, someone at the border gives you a lovely sari to wear. 
mm. as opposed to, you know, someone from this country who's being given no help. And so unless we attack that idea that it's not a zero-sum game, that services are elastic, mm. this is a key point. I keep saying this to people. The idea that, you know, the idea that there will be more um, uh, space at your local GP for you to get an appointment if you got rid of all immigrants is a lie because your that immigrant partly funds those services and those services are elastic. And if you get rid of someone who's a net contributor, there will be less appointment <laughs> slots, yeah. not more. I mean... Well, we, we were talking about, before we started recording the, the this, this episode, we were discussing the NHS salary bans because this kind of uh, assumption that low-paid and unskilled are the same thing. We checked the NHS salary bans. Everybody from a band two healthcare assistant, which is the bottom of the pay scale, up to a registrar, they all earn less than £50,000. A registrar earns £47,132. £50,000 is the cut-off. But no, yeah. if you're not earning 50, so essentially, effectively... She's just sacked everybody who works for the NHS who is an EU citizen. They're not earning enough. Help, and who will replace them? But, but has anyone seen a challenge back to this? It's almost like, well, OK, well, yeah. that, that's the way it must be then because, you know, whoever is yeah. the government of the day have spoken. Well, yeah. where's the challenge? Where's the? Yeah. But you do know this will mean XXX. Yes, yeah. where is the challenge, Jeremy? There has been a t- mm. timidity from politicians of all shades to speak about yeah. immigration mm. for far, far, far too long, and it has to end. Not for a podcast that hasn't. One favourite that got trotted out was British people will do low-skilled jobs like social care and hospitality. And there are going to be loads of unskilled jobs at the Festival of Brexit Britain. <laughs> a fine British-made segue for you there. Cast your mind back to the distant days of last Sunday when our Prime Minister announced a special event in 2022 to mark a moment of national renewal. Even though it seems likely that the nation will collapse to the floor, be enveloped in a red, white and blue glow and change from Jodie Whittaker into William Hartnell in black and white, go back to the early 1960s. Apparently we're going to evoke the spirit of 1951's Festival of Britain and spend £120 million to promote the best of business, art and sport somehow. <laughs> the ironies came thick and fast. The Prime Minister forgot that the Festival of Britain was a response to the uninvited devastation of Britain during the Second World War. And it was a Labour initiative. And the moment Churchill came to power, he ordered the site to be flattened, which seemed a bit Luftwaffe of him, I thought. <laughs> Alex, you read about this on a flight back from Mykonos and nearly hijacked the plane in a desperate attempt to <laughs> go home and bid for political asylum. But what did you really think? I was literally eyeing the emergency exit <laughs> and clawing at the window. I think you said you were, you were going to kill yourself with a spork. I, I genuinely... OK, so this is what happened. I genuinely thought it was a joke. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely thought... You thought oh, it was a news thumb really or a Daily Mash headline. I thought, I thought this is really funny. They're circulating this idea to it, poke fun. And then I saw the actual uh, sort of reputable news sites going that it yeah. was a thing. It was an actual <laughs> real thing. And um, I tried to kill myself with a spork. Yes, but you didn't, didn't succeed work. and we're happy about that. Yeah. Obviously, this was Christmas come early for Twitter. Um, you all saw the, the fun stuff. But where do we think the Festival of Brexit Britain should be held? Where should they hold it? Can't be in Remainer Elite London for a kickoff. No, no, it can't. So it's going to have to be somewhere that voted Leave. Yeah, Sunderland. I don't know. Cornwall's nice. Eden Project. Oh no, funded by the EU. <laughs> um, I just, it's going to be very difficult to put this on. I think. Naomi, it's pretty suspicious. Also, that it's the hundredth anniversary of the partition mm. of Ireland, so they could hold it in Unionist North Down. Well, well, North Down voted fifty three remain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's it's suspicious um, that it's on the hundredth anniversary of the uh, partition of Ireland, but it's actually also utterly disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it was in 1922 that the Irish Free State finally broke away from British rule, except for the six counties that make up Northern Ireland. Can you do it in the voice, please? It was that year that Ireland was divided and the border put in place. That's better. It was in that year that a one-party unionist state was formed in Northern Ireland. Um, and it was in that year that discrimination against Catholics living in the six counties was emboldened again. It was in that year that the seeds were sown for the ensuing decades of division, sectarianism and violence. Um, but yes, Teresa, you go ahead and celebrate oppression and division and bloodshed if you want and see where it gets you. That was marvellous. It's like riding a bike, isn't it? You never, you never forget. Um, Hugh and Emma, I mean... What do you think of this? I mean, as type my name. Sorry. To me, it just seems another in, uh, sort of example of you know the, the the petrol gauge lights on, and rather than address the problem, let's just stick a plaster over it and hope yeah. we can do something to distract people. Yeah, and, and, and it, yeah, and it ju- and it just seems another example of what can we do to get through the next forty eight hours or week of government. There's, nobody on the ground would say this is a credible idea, and also. There's this conflation of of, of um, concepts. So, you know, in order, so much people are tr- trying to tie to Brexit. You mentioned homelessness earlier and people saying, oh, but if, if it wasn't for the, in quotes, immigrants yeah, yeah. rather than expats, well, they're two different problems. Mm. And everything's very, when you boil it down, like you said, sort of serious some game, it's very easy to simplify this stuff. So if you want to celebrate Britishness, well, isn't that what the British Council are doing already all around the world and supporting yeah. people? It's already happening. Global Britain, it's already happening. You know, so, but it's it's just this... Let's boil it down to a slogan and a, and a you know, a, a badge and everybody's distracted enough. But even at the basic level of strategy, you don't announce something that's going to happen in four years' time when all manner of things could have occurred. You don't make yourself a hostage to fortune in that way, do you? I don't know how they, they uh, sort of market tested this because she mentioned it in her speech uh, today. That's Wednesday. Hmm. Um, and even people in the hall laughed. Mm. Um, but, but this reinforces so, the point, isn't it? That you can almost imagine. I mean, we, we used to see it on the thick of it and things like this, where we have to have something to announce. What it's inflatable castles, yeah, yeah, yeah. inflatable bouncy castles. Yeah. Yeah. No, inflatable churches for the community. That's what it was, wasn't it? <laughs> inflatable. It's exactly. You know, so it's like, what can we? What, we need to announce something big and grand that we don't actually have to do yet, and we don't yeah. have to fund yet, but something that will get people talking. But That's she did say it, 120 million for well, it, which you know, I don't think we're raising that. I don't think it's going to get you much on the grand festival mm. level. I think probably puts, puts cost more than that's what Glastonbury on. They've got their own field. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of ran the, I kind of wargamed it in my head and it, it came it came out looking, it's going to make the Millennium Dome look like a success. The arts, you haven't got to pray. You're going to get Lee Hurst and Roger Daltrey <laughs> and John Cleves in a cardboard Downton Abbey. But they'll all be Remainers, by they Absolutely. Still be alive, then? Yeah, well, yeah. Sport. Premier League is full of non-UK players. You, you may be able to sort of frog march a couple of Olympians on board, but highly unlikely. And then you're left with business. So what's that? Our Aaron Banks's car phone, warehouse phone zone, and an all-you-can-drink Witherspoons with no foreign lager. What, you know... Send in Dyson to who brought the Absolutely, yeah. It's not really not really happening, is it? Um, May said, uh, Britain once again stands at the cusp of a new future. As an outward-facing trading nation, we want to showcase what makes our country great today. But this is an inward-facing project, isn't it? It's just another example. So, you know, my, my day job is I run projects for customers. And I look at this and it, it's almost like a customer coming up to me or, you know, presenting a business case. And you think, well, it's based on nothing. So yeah. there's no way we're even going to consider this project or fund this project until I understand what it's made up of and what the benefits are. It's basics. And mm. there are there are no tangible benefits. There's no detail of what, where you got 120 million from. I don't care if you said it was 500 million or a billion. Yeah. 
there's nothing to make up the number, so the number is irrelevant. Yeah. From, from her speech today, I think the idea is that you invite loads of Commonwealth dignitaries, basically, to come along. What, those ones that told us that we shouldn't leave the EU? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> them the ones, them the ones. Um, and they come along and you put on, you know, some tent with the newest Dyson uh, uh, Hoover <laughs> made in Indonesia and try to sell it to them. Yes. Yeah. Mm. That, that says everything, yeah. doesn't it? Well, that, that's basically going to be the festival. What would... As Remainers. Emma, sorry, you were saying... No, no, I was just thinking, I'm, I'm sure that parties always sound nice. It just, when I think about winter coming up, maybe we could just use some of that money now to help the NHS prepare for the winter crisis yeah. we're going to have, be or nice, yeah. help with social care, yeah. or help with the homeless. Yeah. As Remainers, what would we like? I, I'd, I'd quite like some show trials, actually. <laughs> <laughs> See me in a wig. What, 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 I mean, just trying to be impartial about it. Is there anything that can be, can be pulled out of this? It's going to be, a, or is it just going to be a giant mess? We don't fancy it, do we? Well, we're going to have a, a Romaniac stall, surely, Andrew. We'll do a stall. We'll yeah. definitely do a stall with Bunting saying, we told you so. <laughs> what, should, what should Remainers do instead um, on this... when this The Schadenfreude Festival. <laughs> I actually, I think, and this is a serious suggestion, I think we should do a mass exodus to a European capital on Brexit Day. And You'll never get year. back in. It's a really bad idea. I You'll be no. queuing at the borders Day trips. We'll a 10 mass, days later. Mass application for visas early. I think we should do it. <laughs> this year, Paris. Next year, Bucharest. Go and spend our money in Europe, whatever it'll be worth by then. <laughs> and, and actually be outward looking instead of putting up a marquee. Buy your kids. euros now. Buy your euros now, yeah. <laughs> actually, by the way, I did with think... What? With what? yeah. I did think that this actually is the core of Theresa May's checker strategy. It's like... We've got to leave now because I've hired the marquee. <laughs> I've got, <laughs> bought the catering. The catering. Can't cancel it. I've booked Roger Daltrey. Turns out it's not doing it. We can't cancel now. This is my suspicion. Who books a marquee for a divorce? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a really weird thing to do, isn't it? Now, we know you enjoy podcasts, so we thought you'd like to hear about another one produced by the team behind Romaniacs. It's called Be There with Dali, and in the spirit of outward-looking European business cooperation, it's brought to you by Dali Loudspeakers, Danish manufacturers of super high-end audio gear with beautiful Scandinavian design. In every episode, I sit down with some of the cream of music journalism to talk about the stories behind great recordings, old and new. Here's a snippet from the new series. This is Kate Hutchinson from The Guardian talking about the remarkable story of Sami Ben Redjeb and his Analog Africa record label. This is a man who built his entire life around his obsession with hard-to-find African records. Well, he's a real character, uh, Sami, and he... I, I can't exactly remember, or I don't know how he discovered that his love of African music, but he really went to superb lengths to go and find a lot of this stuff, including... So I think he went to, um, to Senegal, where he was, he was a diving instructor... And then he loved it so much. And then he was a, he became a DJ in hotels in order to stay there and uh, to find as much music as he can. And then he was like, how can I how can I enable myself to travel around Africa cheaply and go on these massive record hunts? And he decided the best way to do that would be to be a, a flight attendant. So he got a job um, at Lufthansa. And this was right after 9-11. So oh, A, not God. many people wanted to be flight <laughs> attendants. And B, he managed to, uh, in, uh, to negotiate a deal where he could be 
actually part-time. So he was part-time <laughs> flying across Africa and then the rest of the week he was going to various countries and and um, and sort of finding what he could find. It's astonishing, isn't it? I, mean, I love the idea of him sort of getting on plane with his duty-free and a huge rattling bag of cassettes from, from <laughs> Africa. Um, explain what, what's actually happening in that on that label, the Analog Africa label, and that, that kind of world of music, because it has become the kind of undiscovered treasure trove of mad sounds you can't get anywhere else, isn't it? Yeah, I think the key is that Sammy has a certain style. So there are a lot of reissue labels now. It is kind of the thing. And Africa, the continent, um, as well as the Middle East, is somewhere that's really kind of being uh, mined for as much kind of old stuff as possible. But Sammy has a particular ear for he likes old, weird dance music and synth music. A bit of Be There With Dali for you there. Search Be There With Darley on your favourite podcast app and get the full show. And subscribe for a new episode every two weeks. We're delighted to have Emma Hockey and Hugh Norris from Remainer Now with us today. They are the people that really matter, not fixated obsessives like me and Alex and Naomi. Thanks for coming in. Can, can you tell us, what was your personal experience of the referendum? Because for a lot of people it was confusing, for a lot of people it was enraging. How did you feel about it as the vote was going down? I thought it was I was very fifty fifty anyway and I thought it was very, very frightening. Very much this feeling of um you will decide. This is an extremely important thing, you will decide. Just don't read anything from the EU because it's all propaganda. Mm. So it, it felt very difficult to make an impartial choice mm. and I felt the time frame was so small as well. Mm. It was really hard to gauge information for myself and I must admit I did feel a lot of social pressure to towards voting leave but again i can take responsibility for how i voted i just would have personally would love to have found a way to have gotten better information for myself so i could have judged better mm. you mentioned earlier on that, that the nhs was a, was, was a big thing for you had you mm. been interested in the eu as an issue before it all blew up in the referendum to be honest I'm, <laughs> I'm still shocked actually that we're pretend we're in this situation i honestly thought it would be remain anyway that would win um i've even when i voted leave i I felt voting leave doesn't mean I don't love the EU and what it is. It, it should never have been about that. I don't still get all this hostility towards the EU. Mm. I think it's one of those things where... And it was just so insipid. Mm. So were you oh. quite cross with the government at the time? Was your vote at all a sort of a protest against them failing to deliver for you and your community? Or was it purely because, you know, there was... Yeah, you just weren't getting good enough information about the benefits of staying in? I... To be honest, I just heard so much about you're being oppressed, you're being oppressed, you're being oppressed. Don't don't be afraid of being part. You know, don't you know? I don't want the EU telling us what to do. It's very much a, a feeling that was being done. You're going to lose the money. So many lies. You're going to lose the monarchy. We're going to lose the. And you just think, for goodness' sake, we, we're not getting proper trade deals. Um, immigration was mentioned, but that was never an issue for me whatsoever, personally. Um, but. And what about you the know. bus? With the because obviously you know. Well, NHS the bus is... not being funny, especially when it's on a great big bus and you've got politicians and, and people remotely standing right in front of it. You do tend to believe it might be fairly accurate. Yeah. Mm. You yeah. Know, Nobody you would, would have the gall to tell to tell such yeah, a blatant lie. I know. Yeah. Little do I know. Yeah, but I think that's kind of part of the something that's been talked about so little is the kind of the the really good thing about regular elections is moral hazard. If you lie to me this time, you'll be punished next time. Because there is a next time. And what we've had with the referendum is, once and for all, no yeah. next time, say what you like, whatever you can to get over the, uh, to get over the line. Yeah, and then you can't. Hugh, what was it we, uh, Emma was saying that it was the NHS that kind of clinched it for her? What was, what was it that clinched it for you that made you vote and leave in the first place? 
Well, firstly, uh, uh, to answer a similar question that you asked Emma, um, I never even particularly thought about the EU. I wasn't really aware, certainly wasn't aware how it benefits our daily lives. You know, it's behind the scenes on all these things and all the rest of it. So it was never anything particularly on my radar. Travel to Europe regularly. You've got friends in mainland Europe. I work in mainland Europe. So um, initially I just thought, oh, what's this about? Why do we need to do this? And then I thought, well, listen, you know, I can sense this is important. I better go and do as much as I can. And I took it seriously, you know. So, And I thought, well, I, this is a – they're saying, you know, this is an important vote. So I tried to be as open as I could and try and find out as much as I could. Um, but what tipped me, I think, was probably just a combination of things. So the Remain campaign um, – I know it's been well sort of said now, um, inspired me to not not one jot. It was just fear. And it was fear. That's how I felt. I mean, when I saw people like George Osborne saying, oh, you know, if, if you vote leave, um, there's an emergency budget the next day. I saw that interview and I thought, that's just not credible. Nobody yeah. just jumps into an emergency budget. Um, and I, I just and uh, so I, I felt that the some of the um, people who were uh, uh, proposing to, to remain it, it felt to me that the whole campaign was better the devil you know, yeah. um, rather than there are really good benefits. You know, actually, it, it was classic. I'm a classic. You don't know what you've got till it's gone, which is why I'm fighting because I don't want it to be gone. Um, it could have been so much more positive and actually saying remain, you know, should have been a very easy sell in hindsight because I know a lot more. Um, and what clinched me in the end, similar to Emma, very 50-50, um, looking back, it should never even been a, a vote. You know, it's so, such an obvious thing to, to want to keep all these benefits. But at the time, um, I watched one of the big accusations of <clears throat> uh, people, uh, remain and now people, or, uh, is uh, why didn't you do your homework? And, and that really makes me cross because mm. um, on the – you know, the couple of months or so running up to the vote, I mean, I would, wouldn't like to guess how many hours and hours of documentaries and reports and everything I read. I didn't use social media at the time, so I wasn't yeah. uh, affected by the likes of Facebook and everything. I didn't use it. Um, and I watched hours and hours and hours of this stuff, and I came out thinking, seems much of a muchness to me. And you've got you've got people saying, just stick with what you've got, and they didn't really explain what that was from what I saw. And then you had others saying, uh, I didn't believe the outrageous lie, so forget the farages of the world. Um, but but the others were saying, we can keep these benefits and have more. Mm. And when it actually came to the booth, I thought, well, we might not get this chance again. And and they're saying that we can do exact, the exact same benefits. Everybody yeah. remembers the lovely line, so nobody was talking about you know removing rights and everything. And we can have more trade. And instead of having a centralised pot of money giving to this body, we can distribute it to the regions and we can do all of this stuff. Mm. Um, but the whole debate made me think, well, it seems 50-50. So what I'll do is I'll – and also I knew it was advisory, by the way. I did mm. know that. Um, so it seems 50-50. So let's give them a chance was my view. Let's mm. see you know, because what, what if – we, they don't get this chance again and we're saying we could actually have better public services and better trade and, and we can do even more plus keep the same benefits. So for me it was a I'm going to give you a chance. Mm. For that to be interpreted the way it has, I have never felt so played in my life. Right. That's what made me furious. Um, they've run away from everything that they said that was potentially possible um, and I would just never have believed that any kind of UK government, however it would have ended up, it would have ended up some kind of pretty sensible deal and everything everything would have been fine. And it, actually, it wouldn't have really affected anybody. And for us to be going down the road, we're going down, even if somebody said that to me, this is exactly what's going to happen. Any colour of any any party, I would never have believed the UK government. So actually, when it came to the end of the day, when it came to the vote, it was 50-50. 
somebody, the Remain campaign just didn't really sell me any benefits. And the other one, I thought, well, let's give you a chance. Um, mm. And uh, I was played. And, and how, that's why I'm angry. And how soon did you feel played? Like, it was, do you remember the, the, the moment or was it sort of a slow drift? You know, how instant was it that you were like, oh, you know, they, they lied to us? The, the slow, the slow drift. So I was surprised on the morning. I was surprised on the morning. Um, and then the slow drift, as I said, w- was more about when it start- I started seeing people really being affected and I started seeing xenophobia. Right. Um, yeah. And then it became, oh, my God, what have I done? I didn't realise this was, was a proxy. pretty instant, actually, you know, the, the right. attacks on yeah. Eastern yeah. Europeans oh, yeah. in and then, and then, no, we're, no, we're coming out of markets and everything else. That's when I realised. Mm. For me, it was that morning after and you had Mr Farage on Good Morning Britain going insane about the mistake about that pledge with the bus. Yes. And I thought, what? Yeah. And then yeah. we had the xenophobia yeah. attacks, yeah. and I was like, we oh. We shouldn't have said that, yeah. yeah. Why the heck have you, as yeah. you say, we were played. Yeah. We? Yeah. Well, I suppose this, this kind of introduces the notion of uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, and that's why we are being denied so far a chance to mm. have a second look at it, because people are wise to it now. Mm. Um, we, on this podcast, have kind of been, in a lot of ways, kind of trapped in the, in, in this kind of window of how do you persuade people when the allegiance to their decision is emotional rather than reason-based? How do you persuade people to your position? You've got the kind of bona fides of being able to say, look, I was you. I agreed with what you agree with now, but I've changed my mind. What, what do you find are the best ways to argue people around? Keeping an open mind, keeping a kind heart. Um, excuse cartoons have been fantastic actually with my parents mm. it was really funny because I got the book with all the cartoons in and um, they had a look at it and I went go, go and have a look because they're, they're very proud of it. they still would like to leave but they're a lot more open minded now and we laughed over it and I said because there is wit to it but there is actually some truth isn't which, there which, which cartoons are these? Um, excuse cartoons they're in the new European right okay yeah um, here are the things that you kind of because you're like quite you know you're both thickly involved in Remainer now. Mm. What works? The, 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 the best reactions I've had in terms of people actually wanting to have the discussion is when I just tell them up front, I voted leave and I've changed my mind. It's, I found that as, as, you know, when I've done, I've not done that many, but when I've done street stalls and, you know, people see me standing in front of the European flag now and, and, and things like that. Um, I've literally been on street stalls where members of the public are, who voted leave are railing at somebody next to me Hmm. Um, and when I've said to them, oh, can I, can I have a word? And, uh, and my opening line has been, I know this might surprise you, but I voted leave too. And let me explain why I voted leave and why I'm here today. Yeah. And it, it seems that, that the aggression then stops. Oh, okay, so it, this isn't a, you know, a, an yeah, aggressive... Yeah, you're not calling them yeah. stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm right. It's not you know? loaded with um, all that stuff. And, um, and what, I, what I found is, is I, I personally don't expect in a conversation to change somebody's mind. But what I want to try and do, and I found Femi Oliwale to be fantastic. I've, I've just sort of, oh, God, that's a great fact. That's a great yeah, fact. Yeah. Just, um, so a classic conversation I've had, for example, on a street stall was um, with this person who voted leave and, and was having a go at you know another uh, colleague on the street stall. said, can I just explain why I voted leave? You know, And I was sort of in my own way paraphrasing some of Femi's points. Wouldn't it be great just to be able to make one version of a product? Wouldn't it be great? To, and they agree with these points. Um, wouldn't it be great if you, you know, people coming into the country had to be self-sufficient? We know all the points, you know, mm. Article 2, whatever it is, Article 7. Um, but I didn't phrase it like that. Um, and they said, yeah. And I said, well, this is, this is what I learned since I voted. That was always the case. You know, yeah. I mean, for me, it wasn't immigration, but it, it's irrelevant. But, you know, whatever points I want to make. But when I explain why I voted leave... 
and they kind of understand and a lot of that rings true to them. And then I explain, I've subsequently found out that actually this isn't the case and that's not the case. So I said, all I want to do is have another vote because mm. now for me, I've changed my mind. For you, you may not change your mind, but we know mm. a lot more. So all I'm saying is maybe we can meet in the middle and say, well, we should vote again because you may also not get what you're voting for. Mm. So... Personally, I, I want people to change their mind, but I don't expect it's realistic to say on the basis of a conversation or two that they're going to change their mind. But they, what they will do, from my experience, is the hostility drops and they listen mm. and they go away and you can see their brain ticking over. And I hope that eventually, you know, gets them to think. And, and, and some people have. Some people have said, yeah, actually, I have changed. Yeah. Hugh, you, you said earlier that you were um, uh, disappointed or you sort of didn't believe all of the Project Fear stuff. Uh, and those of us that are sort of thinking about how we would campaign again, you know, if if we do get the chance to do so in a in a people's vote, um, you know, there, there there are still people within the movement that agitate for that, saying, "Well, no, actually, Project Fear does work. We just didn't do enough of it." And what what would your reaction be to that? Because from everything I've heard from from leavers, is that that wouldn't work. We Emma's wouldn't, shaking we wouldn't her head enormously. Yeah. It, it wouldn't work for me. It's it's um, I. I've gone for, and I can't believe I'm, you know, alone here. But I've gone from thinking wasn't really aware of the EU, to be honest, you know, before 2016, kind of knew it was some political body, and I wasn't, didn't really come into my life much, as I thought. Sell the benefits. Yeah, I have learned so much in the last two years. It's just a very positive the, campaign. Sell the the sunlit uplands are what we've already got. So yeah. you know, sell them. Because we're walking away from all these benefits, or potentially walking away from all these benefits. That's all we need to do. Even the term remain isn't that helpful. It's like, well, stick what you got. But mm. sell the benefits. I, I personally think Project Fear is you're never, I don't think you're ever going to get somebody to say, do you know what? You were right and I was wrong. Just sell the benefits and say, yeah. wouldn't it be great if you could have all this? Yes, mm. it would. Emma? If you're able to take the pressure off, and just to me, one of the big things that's also helped me is just the compassion everyone has. Being part of Remain and Out, meeting other people, you that understanding is mm. just priceless mm. and to explain to me also there are a lot of benefits and also just explain people's lives and hearing their stories who wouldn't want to protect that yeah mm. yeah at, at best of written we've worked with hope not hate which is an anti-racism group but just its very name i think sums up the campaigning tactic that you're advocating you give people the hope mm. sell the the positive vision of it and and with them we've identified that not only have we got two of you in the room, but there are actually 3.6 million people who have switched their vote mm -hmm. from uh, Leave to Remain. There have been a million that have shifted the other way, but that does mean that in net south it will over 2 million. Uh, and that means that 112 constituencies now have also switched, uh, meaning that the majority uh, of constituencies in the country do now back Remain. Mm -hmm. So that is good news for your cause. Yeah. Sounds like we should have had these guys doing the podcast since the start. I find it interesting that what comes through from both of you is that the effect of the dire warnings was to actually make voting leave feel like the braver choice. Yeah. Uh, and who doesn't want to be brave, ultimately? I don't. You know? I'm a coward. Yeah, but, but <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I get that on, not just from you, but from a lot of people who voted leave that I talked to, that it felt like a dare. It felt like the mainstream, the government and everything behind the Remain campaign was daring people to do something. And next um, time round, the status quo would be 
yeah. the government yeah. of the day. So well, it it's interesting. Have you know, a totally there's been two years. It. There's been two yeah. years since then, and I think everyone has learned a lot. If I were going into the campaign now, if I could yeah. turn back time, I think my strategy would be challenging people on the detail because I think that's where they, that's where they fall down. You ask Boris Johnson. You know, two years ago at that debate when he declared that he was, you know, what are your plans for aviation? Explain to me, what are your plans for medicine? If I could turn back time. Thank you. Thank you, Cher. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to the end of the show, which means time for the Brexit time capsule. Emma and Hugh, you're the guests, so you get to choose something to go into our Raiders of the Lost Ark storage chamber of things we'll miss if we leave the EU. For me, the uh, for the time capsule, it'd be free movement. You're not the first person to say that. It seems to be the thing that people are... I mean, certainly in my case, it just infuriates me, the idea that somebody's going to go papers, please, or that I'm going to have to do an Esther. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and people, you know, see that now. I mean, this week, perfect example, this week, went to see... And you sort of think, well, are you sure you voted leave? You know, and I promise you I did. But this week, case in point, met my two close uh, German friends for a weekend in Lisbon. Hmm. Just like that. Went on a Friday, had the weekend, came back on Sunday evening. Why? And people say, yeah, well, you can do that anyway on holiday. But roll that out on a million other examples of business and leisure and, and just experiencing culture. And it's it's a it's a, a very closed shop. You know, it will close people's horizons and everything. And, and not only are we potentially going to lose that, but we've also got a government who's celebrating the fact that we're going to lose that. I don't mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. Emma, what would you like to put in the Brexit time capsule? People feeling safe and secure. People, families. No one should be in limbo. Shouldn't have happened before. Shouldn't be happening now. Promises have already been broken. It should be no question. We're all equal. It's our home together, and I mean that. And I don't care how long it takes, I'm going to be standing with everyone. How it should be. That's what family does. You protect each other. All right. So naturally, we're going to finish the show with a clip in a non-English EU language. And this, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly here, this is Miklos Georg with some Hungarian. Üdvözlet a Reméniek szállgatóinak Magyarországról az Európai Unió másik végéről. Élvezzük a hátra lévő néhány hónapot, amik ugyanannak a közösségnek lehetünk tagjai, míg aztán az Egyesült Királyság kilép, Magyarországot megkirúgják. So, that means greetings to the listeners of Romaniacs from Hungary. You stop. The other end, Nicholas said, that means greetings to the listeners of Romaniacs from Hungary, the other end of the European Union. Let's enjoy the remaining few months while we are members of the same community until the United Kingdom leaves and Hungary is kicked out. (laughs) Miklos, we're sure that's not going to happen and we are here for you. There is a spare bed here. So, listeners, do send us your closing clip in a European language. If you like, just record something on your phone and email it with a translation to info at romaniacs.com and we'll use the best ones. And that is the end of the show. Thanks to our special guests, Emma Hockey and Hugh Norris of Remainer Now. Keep up the good work. Uh, we'll see you at the demo on the 20th of October then, shall we? Yeah, we'll be there with other Remainer Now. Yes. Yes. And is there going to be a gigantic big Remainer Now banner? Uh, there is going to be a banner, yes, yes and, uh, and some others, uh, some more Remainer Now, all, all congregating beforehand and marching together. Yeah. Fantastic. OK. Mm-hmm. Listeners, don't forget, you can get every episode of Romaniacs a day early if you back us on the Patreon crowdfunding platform, plus smart T-shirts, mugs, and a weekly column by one of our panellists. Alex, I think it's your turn next week, so better It'll get thinking. It'll be a cracker. It'll be a belter. Just search... <laughs> Patreon Romaniacs to find out more or it's at the top of the Romaniacs Facebook page. One sad bit of news. Our brilliant producer Jack Claremont has gone and got a proper job. 
in Brexit Britain of all places. So he's going to be leaving us. In fact, he's producing this one from home. So Jack, if you're listening, and I hope you are listening, because otherwise, how are you going to edit the show? <laughs> Thanks for all your hard work. We know you're going to go on to great things. And don't forget us when you're a major figure in big podcast. And on that sad note, goodbye, and we'll see you next time. But first... Here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, and a salute to our latest Patreon backers. Big thanks from me to Neil Brooks, Agnieszka Mateszko, Dan Swan, David Prosser, Tom Freeman and Robert Pierce. Thanks from me to Nicholas Cobby, William Copley, Ben Whitelaw, The Mysterious, Simon and Siobhan McCluskey. And hello from me to John Ferrier, Dominic Legarsma, Paula Wilcox from Man About the House, I do hope so, Oliver Gray, Gordon Robison and Russell Lazenby. Many thanks and we'll see you all next week. Remainix was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison with Naomi Smith and me, Alex Andreu. Audio production was by Jack Claremont, whom we are going to miss very much. Remainix is a Podmasters production.